All right, so I have a question to start off this morning. Do you know why your parents named you what they named you? How many of you actually kind of know or how, how many of you don't? You just kind of never asked or it never came up, a few people? Okay. I see, I actually saw a father kind of look over at his daughter at the corner of my eye kind of whispering, you should know, you know. Um, yeah, so where'd you get your name? Was it a family name, like a grandmother or a grandfather or relative? Was it a trendy name? Any Barbaras or Lindas in my parents' generation or uh, Jennifers or Jasons in my generation or what's now Madisons and yeah, yeah. So, so it could be a trendy name, could have been, I heard that like a soap opera in the 80s, there was some names and then those became popular, I, I don't know. So there, there's trendy names, there's deep theological meanings. Uh, some people might be named because their dad was in seminary or actually Derek's name is the Hebrew word for like the path or the way that we, Eric and I were in a Psalms class, uh, seminary class, and we just thought that sounds really cool. And so there's different reasons uh, people get their name. Um, this morning, we're looking at the only person in the New Testament who God changes his name. Anybody know who it is? God actually changed Jesus, God, the second person of the Trinity, changes his name is Peter. And we're going to look at Peter. Um, and it's, this is special for me for a couple reasons. Is because even though my name is Daniel... And I'd love to say my life looks a lot like Daniel. Daniel is one of the few characters in the Bible that pretty much is stable and steady and does everything right. It doesn't show a lot of his flaws. And, um, you know, that's my name my parents gave me. Interesting thing about my name is because it took my mom a long time to get pregnant and she prayed and prayed and asked God. And she told me one time when I was younger that she felt like Hannah and she wanted to name me Samuel. But my dad, I also want to be named, they wanted me to be named, be a junior, to be named after my father. So Samuel, Daniel might sound a little weird, so they just went with Daniel. Um, and so Daniel's my name. My parents are actually here this morning, glad to have them with me. But when I read the Bible sometimes and I read Peter's account, I'm like, Peter is more like me. That's me. I'm Peter. I have some, I love like engaging other cultures like Daniel did, but in general, I feel like a Peter. Let's put this picture up. So this is four generations. So it's my grandfather, my dad, me, and Isaac. I have the same picture with Derek. Uh, my grandfather's name is actually Peter, interesting enough. In my family, like 90% of the males are named Daniel, Joseph, or Peter. So kind of, <laughs> I guess, historically Catholic, you know, so you get, you get those. So I just feel like Peter. I relate to Peter. Um, so when it was my ordination, Lawrence said, you can preach on whatever you want. But I was like, we're studying Mark. I love the gospel of Mark. Let's, let's look at Peter and Mark. Because if I want to think about myself and my walk and the guy, I feel like when I read him and I look at the scriptures, I'm like, that's me. He's, he's, he loves God. He has a zeal for God, but he messes up a lot. Actually, all the Bible characters do. They mess up a whole lot. And that's, that's, that's a little bit of what we're going to be thinking through today. So let's go ahead and dive in. I'm going I'm to take you on a long journey across the Gospel of Mark. So we've been doing this series called Encountering Jesus, looking at Jesus' encounters with various people throughout the Gospel of Mark. But today I'm going to take you through most of his encounter, Peter and Jesus' encounters, to, when they encounter each other, and when, when uh, Jesus 
exhorts Peter or talks to him. So let's look at, follow on the screen. I would say follow along in your Bibles, but it's, it's, we're going on a whirlwind. So follow along on the screen as we look at Mark. So Mark chapter 1, verse 16. And Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting their nets into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And once they le- at once they left their nets and followed him. Now I'm jumping ahead to Mark chapter six. I mean Mark chapter three, verse sixteen. These were the twelve he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. Now I'm generally staying in Mark's account this whole sermon because I want us to look at Mark's account of Peter. But I'm going to go into the John account, John's historical account of Jesus meeting Simon, Peter, and Andrew. So his name was Simon. That's his birth name. Simon is the word, the, uh, a translation of the name Simeon, which in Old Testament meant like listening or obedient. And uh, that was his birth name. So let's look at John chapter 1. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two that heard, who heard what John the Baptist had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. Hebrew would be Simeon, son of Jonah. You will be called Cephas, which translated is Peter. Pretty cool. In the Old Testament, God changes Abraham and Sarah's names. He changes Jacob's name to Israel after Jacob wrestles with the angel of the Lord. Israel literally means the one who wrestles with God. And he changes Simon's name to Cephas, which is Aramaic, and Peter is the Greek. It means rock. Now, rock wasn't a name at the time. It'd be similar to like me naming my kid Foundation. Anybody know anybody named Foundation? Actually, there are people named Rock right now. Not The Rock. <laughs> Interesting story. So The Rock is a wrestler and a former college football player, but now he sings on this Broadway-type Moana thing, and my daughter plays it around the house, and I'm like, that's The Rock singing? So Rock is a cool name now, but Rock wasn't a cool name back then. Rock was not a name. You didn't name someone Foundation. But that's what Jesus, he looks at him, and he calls him Peter. Maybe because in the future, when Peter's a mess and John and and James are more stable, the disciples could look back. Yeah, probably John should be leading this thing, but Jesus, he's the foundation. For some reason, when Jesus looks at him, that's what he does. D.A. Carson says this about this John passage. He's probably one of the top John scholars in the whole world. Here in John 1, the focus is much less on what the name change means for Peter than on the Jesus who knows people thoroughly and not only sees into them, but so calls them that he makes them what he calls them to be. And I want us to think about that today. He makes them what he calls them to be. And Peter's story is our story in so many ways. So let's take a moment to reflect on this truth. So I'm going to divert and I'm going to go to thinking about us. So before we met Jesus, what was our status? What are some of the terms the Bible uses? Orphans, aliens, outsiders. The Bible even says enemies. We were God's enemies. We were outside. 
We had no access to him, and we were fighting against him. But what's our status now? I love this. 1 John 3.1 See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. So to us as modern people in America, this may not seem that big of a deal, the term children of God. Everyone, like people are like, oh, we're, like even non-Christians have this idea of equality. The, God, the, the Christian ideal of equality and, and understanding this idea has penetrated other parts of society. But, so I think sometimes it loses its meaning for us as modern Christians, especially in the Western world. But I actually got a chance to go to India. I was serving as missions director at, my, at a previous church, and we had a lot of missionaries and partnerships in India. And I met a guy named Pastor Paul Deva Kumar. And he's an amazing guy. You can see his picture up. He's the guy with the purple shirt in the back. He started a group called India for Christ Ministries. And I asked him, I said, what is your last name? And he said, it's a traditional uh, name in his area of India. And I said, what about your first name? And he said, well, my parents became Christians, so they named me Paul. In his culture, like being named Paul is, is not only changing your name, but it's changing your status. Look at a few more pictures from them. And it's really cool because what Pastor Paul does is his India for Christ ministry is this massive ministry. He started it himself, and they go around and literally love people and tell them in Christ they're children of God. And he, they, literally their status has changed. For us, it might be a name change, might be no big deal. But where he goes, when he and his ministry and, and the people, the men and women who serve with him, when they tell children that they're children, when they tell women and men and children that they are, you know, a child of God, it's powerful. It literally is changing their status. And some of them actually have to change their name. Amazing thing, one of our brothers who's actually running the PowerPoints this morning, I said, your name's Paul Abraham. <gasps> His wife Kate is a servant of God. They're medical students, and they're just serving in this church. I mean, they're, I'm so glad God brought me to this church because people like Paul. But I asked Paul, I said, is it okay to share? So his family back in the line where he lives, your surname is your father's first name. It gets passed on. So he's part of a generation of Christians. So his last name, Abraham, is because his father was named Abraham. His name, it's pretty cool. So in India and in some other parts of the world, getting a Christian name is not just changing your name, but it's literally changing your status. Let's go to, the, let's go to John chapter 1. It says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. We are children born of God. This is good news. Our name may have changed. Our, may, or sorry, our name may not have changed, but our status has, all of us. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you're a child of God. Let's go back to Mark, back to Peter and, and, and Jesus' encounters with Peter. Mark chapter 8. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? So Jesus asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Jesus looked at them and said, what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. 
Jesus warned them not to tell anybody about him. And we've been talking about that idea of the secret. Jesus wasn't ready to reveal himself. So well, I won't go into that this morning. But Peter looks at him and says, you are the Messiah. Verse 31. He then began to teach that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside. So can you imagine Peter? Like, you know, Peter just told him he's the Messiah, and then he says, I'm going to die. And then Peter's like, hey, Jesus, come over here. It literally says he took him to the side. Can you imagine the audacity of Peter? He just said he's the Messiah. In Jewish, that's like the most powerful thing that anybody could be. He's basically like, you're the new David here now with us, but, but you missed something. You just said something that's not true. So let me pull you aside and tell you this. You know, this is, Peter is an interesting character. He's a bold character, but he, he probably wasn't really thinking through the ramifications of what he says to Jesus at this point. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, and he says, get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him, uh, called the crowd to him along with his disciples. So now he has the disciples. Right after that, Mark says, can you imagine how Peter feels at this moment? Like, he's probably a little crushed. I mean, but he, you know, he tried to do the right thing, and now he's just been reprimanded, been called Satan. <laughs> you know, Jesus calls all the disciples and other people around. This could have been Mary and Martha and some of the other, Lazarus was probably in this crowd, I'm guessing. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whatever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. So Jesus, so Mark kind of says this is in response to it's, generally, it's kind of in response to Peter's, Peter's response. But notice at the end of it, he says, if anyone is ashamed of me. Jesus is teaching Peter and the other followers. He's preparing them for the future of what it will be like without him. So Jesus is only on the earth for, I mean, he's only doing this ministry for about three years. And then he knows he's going to be executed. And the Holy Spirit will come and give them power to transform the world. To share the gospel. At literally where people shared with someone who shared with someone who shared with someone who shared with someone who shared with one of us. And that's why we're here today. But Jesus knew this and he's teaching them this truth. But notice that if you're ashamed of me. Because later Peter is really ashamed of Jesus. Let's keep going. Mark 10. Then Peter spoke up. This is another account. Peter says, we have left everything to follow you. Another one of these where Peter kind of puts his foot in his mouth. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one has left who has left home or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or fields for me or the gospel. Notice that word gospel keeps showing up. We'll fall, we'll fail to receive hundred, a hundred times as much in this present age. And then it, I'm going to just go on. And he says, um, along with persecutions in the age to come, like persecution will come. And then he says, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. I believe Jesus at this moment is preparing and teaching all of them 
but particularly Peter, that the last must be first. Jesus doesn't change John and James's names, but at the same time he gives Peter, Simon the name Peter, he also calls John and James the son of Boanerges, right? Like the sons of thunder. So he doesn't give them a name change directly, like he doesn't call them that directly, but indirectly he's kind of saying, you guys need to calm down too. You're a little too arrogant and a little too prideful. The first will be last and the last will be first. Let's go on to Mark 14. Jesus is preparing for his death. He says to them, You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now remember that phrase, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, here goes Peter putting his foot in his mouth again. Even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. Many of you came to our Good Friday service, and Pastor Lawrence had asked me to buy some props because we were doing Stations of the Cross. And uh, look at this picture. On Amazon, I thought this rooster was about six, maybe eight. So I thought this would be great for the kids. When they got to the Station of the Cross about Peter's denial, they, they, all the children would see this big rooster they could touch. And then I get the rooster from Amazon. It's, it's like this big. It's in the car. I should have brought it. I, did, I forgot to bring it. So I think I'm going to keep the rooster on my desk for the rest of my ministry here. God's, today's my day. I'm going to keep the rooster, and I'm going to always look at it and be like, i got to be humble, and i got to be last so that Jesus can be first. But, so the little rooster, see, if it would have been a big rooster, it would have been embarrassing to have on my desk. So maybe God wanted me to have a little rooster. But kids, I'm sorry on Good Friday that you didn't have a big prop. All you had is this little tiny rooster. I think even like Lawrence and Gina came early and they opened the packages that came from Amazon. And I think they were like, this is it? This is the rooster? All right. So we laughed. We laughing at Peter and his, but this is serious. Jesus says he's going to disown him. Let's keep going. 31. But Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. So he did, Jesus tells him, and he's like, no, Jesus, you're wrong again. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter and James and John along with him and began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. This is Jesus heading to the, his death. He knows that literally God the Father is going to turn his face on him and that he's going to bore our sins and bore the sins of the world. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so you won't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jump ahead to verse 69. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. A girl, a little a servant girl, low status. Mark shows us a servant girl, not some high official. Hey, you're one of them. He denies it. And after a little while, those standing near Peter, near said to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. Maybe they could tell by his accent. You can tell the local people who grow up here because they got like the real North Carolina accent and then all the transplants who came later, you know, like they have different accents, but... They could tell, they were like, you're one of them. And this is, this is crazy what Peter says next. 
It's, okay, Pastor Josh, when he introduced Mark, told us that most likely Mark was influenced by Peter's account. So Peter, this is his account, and he, he has to admit this. This is about, you know, a couple years later, he has to tell Mark this story. Immediately, or sorry, he began, this is Peter, he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. He's ashamed of Jesus. Immediately the rooster rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the words that Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. I think when Nathan approaches David, I think you have this scenario. You have these, these times when God puts, something happens in your life and you just know you're just wrong. All of us go through this as believers. We just know we're just not, we have turned from God and we are, we're looking to something else. And he broke down and wept. Mark 16, this is after the resurrection. This is the angel talking to the women at the tomb. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He has risen, right? He has risen indeed. That was Easter, right? He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. Remember that phrase? There you will see him, just as he told you. Peter's, Peter wept. And the angel made a specific thing. Go get Peter. They might have been over here and Peter might have been over there. I don't know. Peter was scared and he knew he was wrong. It says in 14, but after a risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Remember, Peter declared, even if, even if all fall away, I will not. So how does Peter go from saying, even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you, to let's look at the New Living Translation of this, of verse 71. It says, there's the NIV, ESV says similar, but the New Living tries to put it more in, in modern English. It says, Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. That's probably close to what the original Greek meant. Can you imagine the guy who's been following Jesus for three years? Would be a girl, a servant girl would walk up to him and some common people would say, hey, you're a follower. And he was so scared and so shocked. I don't know. He just, just kind of didn't know how to deal with his own emotions that he says, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. He couldn't even say his name. So I have three encouragements from Jesus' encounter with Peter. I know right now we're all discouraged, right? But there's hope in the gospel. So let me give you three encouragements. I told Pastor Lawrence and Pastor Josh I'd go short today, so I'm going to be short. I love teaching the Bible. Even though I just gave you all like half a mark. I, this is awesome, guys. This is good news. This changed me, and I hope it changes you. Three encouragements from Peter. Jesus changes our name, but more importantly, our status. The idea, okay, you're a child of God. That means a lot to some people, but... What does it mean? What is the status? You can say, you can throw that out as an empty phrase, but what does it mean? 1 John 3, 1, we already looked at this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. This is 
Just ponder this. I can't go into it too much this morning, but our status has changed. Pastor Josh, I don't even know, he didn't even know I was going to go into detail. His prayer, introductory prayer this morning, basically was preparing us, just reminding us of our status. Encouragement, too, from Jesus' interactions and encounters with Peter. Peter didn't ha- did not have it all together, and neither will we. This is good news. You don't have to have it all together to be a follower of Christ. You just have to put your faith in him and let him guide and direct you. So what happens? So Peter denies Jesus. 50 days later, read Acts, the beginning of Acts, it's Pentecost. 50 earthly days later, not years later, 50 earthly days later, Peter stands before the crowd and for the first time ever, filled with the Holy Spirit, the whole place is filled. They think they're drunk. It's like nine in the morning. They think they're drunk because they're so, they're speaking in other languages. They're so excited. They're, people just don't know how to deal with it. And Peter addresses the crowd with the boldness like you wouldn't believe. Someone could have thrown a spear through his heart right there because he was kind of inciting a riot almost. And he didn't care because the Spirit filled him. But then if you read Galatians 2... 11 through 14, Paul takes time out of Galatians to condemn. He says, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Cephas was still, Peter was still struggling with some of the Jewish law stuff, like favoring the Jew, Jewish Christians over the, over the uh, Greek Christians. So it wasn't like, oh, Pentecost came, Peter got filled with the Holy Spirit, and he never made another mistake again. No, Peter continually made mistakes. Paul made mistakes. They had to Build each other up. But it's interesting that in Galatians, this Galatians was probably written, you know, probably 25, 30 years after Pentecost. Peter still is is working on it. We're all working on it. James Edwards, a Bible commentator on Mark, says this. This is kind of a long passage, but I, I, I felt like it was really important to read the whole thing. He said, the concluding sandwich of chapter 14 sets the bold and revealing confession of Jesus before the high priest in glaring contrast to the denial of Peter before a servant girl. So Jesus stands before the high priest and is willing to die. And and he stands firm. Peter, a servant girl of low status, he's ashamed in front of her. Throughout Mark, this is continuing on with the quote from Edwards. Throughout Mark, the disciples have misunderstood Jesus, and one of them even betrays him secretly, Judas. But Peter's uh, renunciation is the first open denial of Jesus in Mark. The fact that it comes from the chief apostle makes it all the more piercing. Peter does not face a formal trial, nor is he even questioned directly about his faith. He denies Jesus without ever using his name. Peter's example is a warning to disciples, a warning to us, then and now. That faithful witness to Jesus is most important and most easily betrayed in simple and ordinary actions and words. It is in everyday matters that disciples are true martyrs, the root meaning of which in Greek means to bear witness. Mark may have concluded this section with Peter's story to remind the persecuted, to remind uh, Peter's, the per- Mark's persecuted congregation in Rome 
So this is written later, and there's a congregation in Rome that probably was the original recipient of Mark's gospel, that not even the best Christian is immune to apostasy, nor is any of us beyond the promise of his grace. The church can be honest about sin, even the sins of an apostate apostle, because it is so convinced of grace. And then he quotes Romans 5, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So sometimes we're going to struggle. Some of you actually may feel the pressure that you just don't believe it. I've actually talked to some people in here who went through a phase where they wanted to walk away. They just didn't believe it. It's not true. They wanted to be agnostic or, or just they just couldn't deal with it. For other of us, persecution might come. Actually, for many of our brothers and sisters around the world, direct persecution comes. I was living in another country when Maggie was a baby, and uh, we knew the police were coming to arrest all the Christians. Eric and I were a little scared, and um, so they told us, our leadership told us to shred all the, shred everything that was paper. We had all these Bible studies printed out, um, just before iPads and stuff, so we'd print out all the materials. So we're shredding all this stuff, and then I had all these Bibles and books, and I didn't want to throw them away. So we put them under Maggie's bed, and we just prayed, and we just, we were more worried, we weren't about us, we were worried about our, our Christian friends who were going to get arrested, and the police were going to harass. And the persecution was real, and some walked away. Some, there was probably 100 students, college students in the fellowship, and some of them literally left. The police came, they questioned them, and they said, I don't believe this anymore. Some stood firm. I hope those who left will come back, because if God can restore Peter, he can restore them. I'd like to say I was an amazing beacon of faith, and that whole time I stayed firm and was like Daniel, but I was a little more like Peter. Even thinking about those times, you know, it's, it's hard. I'm looking at Erica and Maggie. It was hard. It was hard to know that your friends could be arrested and lose their... They literally... My friend was a professor, and they're like, we're going to pull your... In the, in the culture where we live, pulling their status is, is it. That's everything. But he stayed firm. He's still a, a lay pastor. He's a professor on campus and a lay pastor. I can't say the country because I want to protect him. So sometimes the persecution will be direct and some people want to walk away. But most often, the pressures of this world and the pressures of our circumstance will lead us to want to trust in other things. And literally, we deny Jesus with our actions and our words, like this commentator said. So what would I think, what's the final thing I can say? Well, 30, about 30 years after Peter denies Jesus in Pentecost, he writes a letter to encourage some local churches. So my third encouragement is this. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered for a little while will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. I'd like to say this was my point, but actually I'm quoting the end of 1 Peter. Peter, 30 years later, leader in the church, suffered greatly, made mistakes. Galatians 2 shows us he still made some mistakes. Suffers greatly for the cross and to point people to the hope of Jesus. Jesus changed Peter's status he changed my status. He's changed your status. This is a great day for me because I love Waypoint Church. I've been through a long road in ministry. I've been in ministry for 19 years. 
I've I've served in two continents. I've almost been ordained in multiple denominations and situations, just various reasons, you know, I didn't. I've served many people from many different cultures. I mean, literally every kind of context that of somebody my age probably could. And, and God's just allowed me to see so much. But I'm so grateful to be here with you this morning and to just say that, you know, we can stand firm. We can be steadfast because of Jesus Christ's work on the cross and his death and resurrection. He's changed my name to child of God. He's changed your name to child of God. And we get the privilege to tell others this good news. Power of the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and gave all believers, including Peter, the chance to say, to be filled with the good news of Jesus Christ so we can go out to others. I'm going to end with this. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5. This is the end of Peter's letter. 30 years of, of suffering and ministry. This is what Peter exhorts the believers in. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. You think Peter needed to be lifted up a few times? I need to be lifted up. Cast all your anxiety onto him because he cares for you. You think Peter was anxious that night Jesus was betrayed? Be alert and of sober mind. This seems to be even a direct contrast to Jesus' challenge to him in the garden when Peter wasn't alert or of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, you don't just get called and then we get everything works out. Jesus calls us to join him in suffering. We can't reach the world unless we suffer. doesn't mean you, you go straight into suffering and you do something stupid. No. But it means you trust him each day, and it means we're going to suffer for him. And he says, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. I need to be strong, firm, and steadfast. Thanks be to God for Peter's example. I'm thankful I'm named Daniel. I'm thankful for Peter. But I'm most thankful that God made me me, and he made you you. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the example of Peter. You didn't find the best looking and best talking and sharpest guy in, in all of Galilee and say, hey, this is the guy who's going to lead my ministry. You took a guy who had a great heart, was kind of following John the Baptist a little bit, wanted to do good for your kingdom, just a simple fisherman, and you said, hey, you know what? You're going to be the rock because my kingdom isn't about how good your earthly ability is. It's about me filling you with the Holy Spirit and giving you what you need to live for me and to point others to me. Thank you for Peter's example. Thank you that all of us are called your children. We just give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.